Hello and welcome to Business Line uh, Podcast. I'm your host, Venkatesha Babu, Manager of the Editor with the organization. Today, we have a very interesting discussion around one of India's most economically vibrant and growth-oriented segments, that is the IT-enabled uh, services industry, which has been commonly referred in multiple monikers as either the business process service industry or now given its all-encompassing nature as the business process management uh, sector or BPM. The addressable global BPM market, according to various estimates, um, is around $250 billion and expected to grow up to $336 billion by 2025. Over the last couple of uh, decades, especially, India rightly has been referred to as the back office of the world. This year, industry body NASCOM estimates that the Indian BPM industry to be at around $44 billion, which includes enterprise front and back office, contact centers, vertical-oriented BPM, and various other segments of the industry. The sector is also a very large and uh, lucrative employer, employs about 1.4 million people directly, and several multiples of that indirectly. The industry has gone a padium shift over the last couple of decades it has evolved. BPM 1.0 was all about cost savings and labor arbitrage when uh, stuff were moved to India primarily to save on money. BPM 2.0, the emphasis was on operational excellence through efficiency and quality of processes. BPM 3.0 heralded the advent of deep technology and domain expertise. Now there is this new shift towards BPM 4.0, which lays stress on enabling business outcomes, ensuring resilience and agility. To enable this to become a reality, the industry needs to reorient itself, reskill its work, workforce, train, invest in technologies like AI and ML to make this a reality. To discuss this, and how ready the Indian BPM sector is and the sh- shift uh, happening uh, towards BPM 4.0. We have a very eminent panel today. We have uh, Prashant Achanta, the CTO of First Source. Uh, we have Sukanya Selvarajan, who is the Innovation Head and CFO Operations of Tata Consultancy Services. And we have Amneet Chaudhary, who is a Vice President and Global Head for Infrastructure Technologies at Sutherland Global Services. Welcome to the show, gentlemen and ladies. Before I uh, get into the meat of the discussion, why don't each of you weigh in a little bit in terms of the opportunity in, of BPM 4.0? Uh, Amneet, why don't you start off by talking a little bit about whether the shift has actually taken place, uh, whether we are still in the last phases of BPM 3.0 itself, and whether the opportunity is still a little bit down the line, or rather it's already done, already uh, is happening as we speak. So uh, thanks, Venkatesh. Uh, So uh, we are at a transition phase at this point of time, I would say, from 3.0 to 4.0. There are many changes which are happening across the globe or even in India from that matter. And we are seeing as we progress further, uh, the need for uh, our customers to build AI-based solutions, uh, which is more related to your conversational IVRs, or we are talking about omni-channel or we are talking about uh, BPM engines with artificial intelligence. So uh, we are seeing this paradigm shift happening and customers and even uh, we are adapting to that. 
that is from mostly from a delivery standpoint. But internally, uh, from our standpoint, we are also seeing that uh, the, the, the AI-based uh, infrastructure, which we call, is also getting gen is also getting into a more and more implementation stage from a transitory stage now. So if we look into our uh, GTOC services or our security operations center, or if we look into our EDRs, or if we are talking about our antivirus solutions, most of them all in order to meet the demand of the customer are uh, adapting themselves to these changes from an infrastructure standpoint. So uh, even, even the concepts of micro segmentation, or we are talking about zoning or zero trust, these are the phases, these are the technologies which we used to uh, earlier work on a more adaptive, uh, non-AI based way. But we are seeing that AI uh, coming into the play now and more and more predictive assessments are happening in terms of the threats that are getting generated. And one of the key things, which is one of the highlights is uh, when we are developing to safeguard our, uh, we support our customers. Uh, there are non-state actors also who are proposing similar uh, cyber threats through the whole uh, AI, using the whole AI model itself. So it's not only us to help our customers, but it is also us to protect our client data and our whole infrastructure uh, with the using the same model or using the same mechanism of AI. So to answer your question, Sot, uh, we are adapting to that and we are way ahead in that. Stupanya Tata Consultancy Services, of course, is India's uh, largest and preeminent IT services and uh, uh, IT services enabled uh, uh, services exporter. Uh, what is the perspective that TCS brings to the table in terms of the shift happening? So I think we are we are in a in a conflux, Venkatesh. Uh, I think Industry 4.0 is is no longer just a flashy catchphrase, and that I think um, you know industries across the globe are are you know acknowledging that fact. Um, a confluence of trends and technologies are are essentially promising to uh, essentially reshape the way uh, things are made, things are perceived, things are observed, uh, so to say. And you know the the BPM 4.0 is essentially having far-reaching implications uh, for the industry, especially the CXO community is seeing a lot of interest, a lot of uh, their prerogatives being met by this whole, um, you know, uh, BPM industry in the new era, bringing in the trends, bringing in the technologies, bringing in the functional knowledge, bringing all of that together, wrapping it together and delivering so that the business value is delivered. And I don't think, you know, you, you rightly pointed out, we moved away from from the whole productivity, um, you know, efficiency standpoint, it's about you know uh, upping the mark. How can we go even more and meet the prerogatives of, of the CXO community? Um, improve speed to value, um, reduce risk, um, improve compliance. So those are the elements that we look at ticking off when we go and approach a customer and and provide services. Mm. Prashant. Um the sector as a whole, uh, especially a large number of Indian players and PASOs, of course, has been a pioneer uh, in this uh, space for a long time. There has been a shift from being order takers to being more of partners who are invested in ensuring outcomes. But this also requires a shift in terms of the workforce, in terms of how uh, your own employees look at and address challenges. What have you been doing to ensure that this becomes a reality? So, Venkatesh, if you would allow me, I really had a comment on the previous question, right? Sure. You know, I'll get to that and answer the next one. And, uh, you know, I, I do agree with my panelists, but, you know, 
uh, unambiguously BPM 4.0 is here and now, all right? So um, it is a continuum, yes. So on the supply side and demand side, you know, we will have specific segments and specific players, specific engagements operating in a 3.0 mode or a 2.0 mode. But, you know, aspirationally from the supply side, which is us, and on the demand side, you know, which is, you know, the markets that we serve, uh, the expectation is to deliver 4.0, right? And, and when I say 4.0 uh, versus 3.0, 3.0 was essentially IT ops synergies, end-to-end -end offerings, right? And the like. And the transition that has clearly happened is, you know, platforms and AI, which is like completely mainstream. Customers are looking for outcomes and that is driving the shift. Now, uh, and, you know, getting to the next question, it's also important to understand the wider landscape, right? Of, of while, while we are shifting from 3.0 to 4.0, what has fueled that is like, you know, two external paradigms, right? One is there is this entire SaaS marketplace and, you know, a lot to be proud from an India standpoint, right? We have, you know, a lot of Indian players out there, you know, massively in the news, truly proud of that, right? But, you know, globally, there has been like a SaaS phenomenon and, you know, India as a geography has just played a role, right? The second part of it is like, you know, the cloud adoption has been on a hockey stick curve, right? And, you know, there is no stopping it, right? I mean, there are challenges, adoption challenges here and there, there are shifts which are happening, but, you know, overall, you know, these are like massive shifts happening. And then, you know, the BPM 3.0 to, you know, 4.0, you know, is also aligned and, you know, uh, there are synergies across these three uh, segments. Um, for first source, uh, you know, uh, our, our heritage and largely what we focus on is, you know, delivering outcomes, right? And, you know, as we have transitioned, right, uh, the outcome delivery has always been enabled by a digital first agenda, right? And when we looked at digital, we looked at platforms, we looked at AI, we looked at automation, right? And then we not just looked at digital technologies, but we look at digital methods, right? What do I mean by that is like digital in isolation might not help us be successful. It, you know, we need active partnership with human in the loop, right? So at what point in time does operations come in, right? How do we optimize, you know, how do we make those synergies work like are a key aspect? So in terms of what we are doing, we are looking at the execution model to ensure that, you know, operations, IT, there is a tight interlock, operations teams are part of like technology engagements, right? So there's a delivery life cycle change. So from a training standpoint, we've significantly invested in cross-skilling our technology workforce. But on the other hand, uh, closely tied with this operations and IT uh, synergy, we have also launched massive citizen development programs. What do we mean by citizen development programs? Uh, you know, we enable our operations teams with a technology bent of mind and, you know, help them pick up skills on RPA, low-code platforms, you know, engage them with AI testing, right? Those aspects so that we leverage the depth of their domain expertise. We make them part of the program to drive overall success. Those are a few examples, right? I mean, we could take the entire hour, but, you know, I just wanted to give you those uh, highlights. Sorry if I took a long time, yeah. No, 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 perfectly fine. Um, uh, just to go back on that uh, issue of platforms and IP, Sukanya, if you could weigh in, um, given that TCS as a whole has been emphasizing a lot, in the past, um, a lot of uh, your rewards were tied to the number of people being deployed, uh, but the whole platform IP premise is that there is no direct linear correlation between the two. Uh, are we seeing that in terms of 
actual end outcomes for customers, uh, both for TCS and for the Indian BPM industry as a whole. No, absolutely. And I think one of the, the, the key drivers for this, uh, Venkatesh, has been our uh, machine-first delivery model um, that TCS is pioneered, essentially giving the first right of refusal to, to machines and boats uh, to essentially execute a task. Um, and thereafter, picking up, bringing the human in the loop to ensure that um, the activities thereof, which is not attended to, the exceptions, the fallouts, are the kind of tasks that, that you know, the, the human workforce essentially goes back to attending and then leveraging you know your AI ML model to essentially go back and say hey having understood and um, uh, understood the nuances where it's falling out or an exception being created can we ensure that this learning is readapted into the system to ensure that the machine picks it up the second time around and this is a small example Venkatesh, in terms of how the approach has shifted and obviously the productivity efficiency gain is a thing of the past now bringing in the MFTM model the, the shift also in perspective of um, what does it take for the team to deliver this has gone, um, you know, has shifted significantly from what we've seen from previous generations. In fact, you know, even if you compare it four years ago, Venkatesh, the, the ask for, you know, the, the talent, the demand pool is extremely different. Um, and, and thanks to COVID in a way, um, I think this is kind of what I would like to call turbocharged, um, the whole BPM 4.0 uh, endeavor in itself. Mm. It is so uh, interesting that you um, mentioned that pandemic bit and the challenges which the industry and the world as a whole has had to undergo over the last couple of years. Uh, Amrit, what has this meant, especially because this is now more of a distributed workforce? Uh, it is no more, uh, you know, warm bodies concentrated in a single place. How do you ensure that, uh, given this kind of constraints, how do you ensure that you still meet the outcomes required by the customer? How do you ensure that you train, you equip your people to enable this to happen? So, uh... And this is a very good question, Venkatesh, because uh, we have seen this transition happening. When we move from a kind of a delivery center or a brick and mortar approach to a work at home approach where people are actually moving from, from a, this is a paradigm shift for everyone, probably for every one of us, because we have never seen that happening except in um, other countries, right? So uh, there, there, are, there are good things that has happened and there are certain things where we also need to focus on. Uh, which has happened. So the, the paradigm shift when it happened from your brick and mortar to the work at home workforce is the, te the technology has taken a head uh, start. So technology is the leader now where technology or the solutions that we are talking about uh, needs to evolve themselves so that they can adapt to the challenges that the work at home users are facing or work at home communities are facing. So for example, uh, let's take an, it's a classic example, HIPAA. Right. We, we all know about HIPAA certification and we all know about the compliances that we need to do. But then that changes from your brick and mortar where it's an enclosed location to a people home. And how do you control that? So you have to adapt to AI forensics. You have to adapt to all your methodologies of AI in terms of monitoring the productivity of the workforce. Uh, all, all those things have to be bundled together and at the same point of time in a secured way. So how it's very easy to be secured in a brick and mortar location, but the moment it comes to the uh, work at home, uh, your home computer, the whole internet uh, go, gets exposed. You are exposed to the whole internet. So are the threats. So how do we control the threats and how do we direct those threats 
or channelize those in a way which we can control. So then the, the artificial based zero trust concept or artificial intelligence based micro segmentation comes into the play on how we can protect our users from those kind of models. So the paradigm shift has not happened on just people moving from uh, the brick and mortar or the delivery center location to the work at home. But the during the pandemic, the paradigm shift has ha happened on the technology front. It's a huge, huge technology change uh, for us to adapt to. And we have adapted to that uh, from, from a Southern perspective. We have mostly we have adapted to whatever I have talked about. Right. But still, there is a long way to go because the, the as I have earlier pointed out, the threat is evolving. Uh, there is always an, there is always a non-state actor who is trying to do something mischievous. And with AI, uh, there is always a very, very thin uh, line on what is uh, if, if there is a human, then he knows what is ethical and what is not ethical. But it, if it is an AI, then it, there is the ethics always becomes a question whether the human ethics is the AI ethics or not. And if that control has been taken by an AI state actor, uh, or a non-state actor, then how he can manipulate the AI is uh, can be catastrophic, right? So mm -hmm. we, th these are the challenges that we have to adapt to when we have migrated from a traditional uh, office working or brick and mortar or delivery center working model to the work at home, I would say. Mm -hmm. Prashant, uh, all of you represent uh, global organizations which incidentally are headquartered in India. Are you, all of you have a large workforce which is based out of India, but essentially these are global organizations. Your customers are across the world. Um, given that, uh, is there any kind of concern for the Indian BPM industry in terms of some kind of competition in, uh, in, in terms of some of the challenges from other places? Because AI-skilled workforce essentially means that some of the traditional advantages that the Indian BPM players have enjoyed in the past are likely to go away because this is not necessarily about uh, cost arbitrage. This is not even about uh, technology and domain expertise. Uh, so, so are there any concerns for the sector as a whole? And uh, how does First Force view that? So um, I think it's a very interesting question, right? I mean, it can be answered multiple ways. But a, a quick preamble to that is like with AI skills, another thing, Venkatesh, which has happened is there has been a massive democratization of AI, right? What do I mean by that is like, you know, uh, some of the larger software players like the cloud providers have, you know, packaged AI offerings in a way that can be consumed by, you know, regular uh, development teams, right? Business end users. So with that shift, uh, what has happened is adoption of AI, uh, you know, uh, with with a limited set of cross-skilling, right? You know, we've been able to achieve, right? Now, of course, you need a specialist AI workforce on the technology side, right? And then, you know, you have these AI configurators, you know, the data players, all of whom need to come together to deliver an end-to-end -end solution, right? So our approach has been like, you know, strengthen the AI specialist workforce, right? But also cross-skill, and you know, strengthen the existing teams. You know, who can do AI configuration, drive data, because any AI project, about thirty percent is core AI, right? Seventy percent is about data. It's about QA. It's about you know understanding the transition, right, and the shifts. So you know that has been you know kind of our approach, right, so far. And in fact, you know, over the past couple of years during the pandemic, and hopefully we are in the post-pandemic era right now. Uh, adoption has increased uh, significantly. We've been able to get better at it. 
um, you know, of course, being remote um, poses its own challenges, but, you know, with significant investment in collaboration tooling, right? Uh, having initiated hybrid working models, uh, we've essentially, uh, I believe, su successfully circumvented, you know, some of these uh, challenges. Mm. Let me reposit that to Sukanya, probably to get an um, uh, additional perspective. Uh, is TCS also therefore hedging bets by, uh, as I said, while you have large India-based workforces, all, all the three of you, um, opportunities, left field opportunities or threats could emerge from anywhere given the shift which is happening. So are you also hedging bets in terms of investing in your workforces globally, enhancing global footprints, uh, investing in people uh, in your uh, wherever uh, they are present across the globe in terms of delivery footprint? Absolutely, Venkatesh. And I wouldn't even call it hedging. It's a given. I mean, there are no two ways about it at all. Um, so, I mean, you, you look at it in, in three ways, uh, Venkatesh. From TCS perspective, there are three dimensions in which we want to enhance our workforce. One is the technical skills ought to be there. We've got so many TCS AI um, you know, tools, technologies that we are drawing for our customers. We continuously hone our, our workforce to ensure that they are up to speed in terms of how to leverage, how to build, how to deploy. So that's one dimension of it. You, know, you, you hone the technical skills. The second dimension is the whole functional aspect of it, Venkatesh. I mean, just having technical uh, proficiency without a functional, um, you know, appreciation is not going to do us any good. It's not going to do our customers any good. So TCS is consciously invested in ensuring that a combination of both technical and functional skills are honed for, for you know, the workforce, bringing in a whole new gambit of techno-functional experts um, who have a good appreciation, have a good technical acumen, have uh, functional expertise. And that's when you know you bring value to the customers um see what really happens is you know disruption happens at the cusp of you know where customers have a business challenge and then we have a valuable solution that we can offer so these tech techno functional experts that we've honed homegrown skilled over a period of time are deployed they know what to use, when to use, how to deploy, ensure that delivery to our customers to ensure there's enhanced user experience, your uh, strategic imperatives for the CXOs are met, um, you're driving speed to value because nobody wants to invest in a, in a technology, take months together to go back and deploy that, right? I mean, they want to invest and see results, you know, almost um, in a couple of weeks. And that's where we are heading towards. And that's possible only when you marry the functional and technical create contextual masters to address the problem statement at hand. So I, I don't think it's even hedging anymore, Venkatesh. It's a given. You have to go down that path. Mm. Please go ahead, Amnit. So one, one more point to add to what uh, Sukanya has just now mentioned, right? So uh, there, there is a, with the AI coming into the picture, we are also seeing a new level, new kind of work model, which is getting developed, which we call as the gig. Uh, so if, if you look into from that perspective, Sutherland is heavily invested in uh, the concept of gig and we have we have onboarded people, not only from uh, internal people, but who have the expertise, but also external who can who can be a part of this whole gig workforce and who can help in uh, quicker adoption of the technology and uh, faster delivery or turnaround. Mm. While all the three of you practitioners on the ground make it sound uh, easy, I'm sure that uh, it is like, uh, as the old adage goes, 
trying to uh, fix a blown out tire even as a car is running it isn't never easy so uh, prashant given those challenges is the workforce is the pool enough large enough pool available in ai enabled trained pool uh, available are all of you uh, investing massively because there are huge training costs uh, when this kind of shifts happen uh, how are you ensuring not just from a first source perspective from the indian sector uh, as a whole is there a large enough pool and are we going to face challenges and are we ready to uh, move to make this shift happen large enough pool uh, venkatesh i mean if anybody is going to say yes <laughs> so um, i think you know the pandemic shift uh, the kind of acceleration we've seen um, the talent marketplace um, i don't think any of us have seen uh, you know uh, what we are going through right uh, just from a supply demand gap standpoint okay now uh, we are uh, solving it multiple ways right uh you know we are we are focusing and you know trying to address you know part of our talent challenge you know through hiring right mm-hmm. uh but you know we continue to emphasize on internal cross skilling right picking the right talent because you know we we basically sliced the entire ai piece right so it is not there is the specialist ai there are the ai configurators you know there are the ai automation and then you know we have the ai operations teams right so run cross skilling programs and then you know uh, build expertise right the other way we are trying to also solve for this is like you know how we go to market right and particularly with ai driven solutions uh, it is vertical ai as opposed to generic ai right it is very contextual to the use cases right even sub vertical if i would you know if, if i were a lot the second aspect is like pick and you know partner correctly so you know partnerships you know have also been uh, key in terms of you know how we build uh, the overall uh, solutions landscape so yeah i mean that's broadly how we are uh, approaching it venkatesh mm. so kanya uh, last part of this workforce is also in tier 2 tier 3 where your conventional training probably uh, would not be able to reach so easily or even tapping into the kind of talent available there how is somebody uh, like tcs which is so process driven how, how is it addressing this particular challenge i think uh, from a talent supply perspective you know given this whole distributed workforce happening currently and you know we are we are seeing a huge talent pool not just from the urban dweller dwelling community but also um this whole hub spoke and edge model seems to be working really well because when you start tapping into the talent pool in smaller towns and cities um we start creating delivery hubs and in order to enable this there's this whole back of talent management crew that's there in TCS enabling programs uh, while we pick and choose people with the relevant skill set and and graduation and so on there's always a certain degree of upskilling that is required so that they are suitable for the roles that they are put into um the the whole talent management community with learning and development programs that are designed um specifically catering to a whole gambit of techno functional elements that we're looking at it it essentially leads to niche skill development 
department as well, Venkatesh. I mean, you bring in a person with a base skill set, um, and depending on where you want to deploy the resource, the, the upscaling of, you know, uh, two or three programs that you need to add on from our LND team, we've got those capsule size models that essentially helps the resource to go back, get up to speed to a certain level, um, and leverage those high-end digital skills to go back and, and you know, uh, put it into workforce, you know, and, and ensure that, you know, it is used, uh, it is reused, and it is brushed up further. So that's essentially where, you know, the, the whole element comes in. And I want to add another dimension, Venkatesh. Um, from a whole talent supply perspective, I think post-COVID, the whole diversity angle has taken a whole different uh, gambit as well. And, and TCS has, um, you know, uh, very consciously essentially looked at, um, you know, engaging women workforce, uh, giving them additional training. We've got a lot of contextual masters on those lines. Um, and it, it's kind of in a blessing of sorts. In the last two years, you've got more people, the new work arrangement with flexible locations, timing options, has empowered a large number of women um, to be an integral part of this turbocharged environment that we're looking at at the moment. Mm. Not many sectors in the economy can still boast of uh, double-digit growth only. The um, BPM is one of the few uh, sectors which is uh, hitting close to that. Are there pools of opportunity, especially with this BPM 4.0 model, which you think um, Indian uh, players can tap into internationally, which they have traditionally not done till now? So one of the opportunities, Venkatesh, that uh, we can clearly think of is on the innovation field, right? And I have seen that personally happening, wherein uh, the, the, with, with the whole changes in the structure of how uh, the whole workforce is designed now, or how the people are working. Uh, the innovation in terms of uh, the new solution development is coming up from uh, nooks and corner, everywhere it is coming up, right? Uh, the good thing that we are doing as a company is we are promoting them to get patented and create a revenue model or su uh, support them through a business model so that they can, the, the niche, even it is India or anywhere else, predominantly we are seeing that in India. So these players who are, who are uh, starting to develop something in an innovative way in the AI field, uh, we are encouraging to go for uh, them to go for a patent and then uh, go sell it as a product. And that becomes a, you don't know at some point of time that company can become so big, like it can give competition to others. So the mindset of India from a general outsourcing is slowly and slowly changing towards a productized way where we have to innovate and we have to do patent. We have to bring that IP around and we then can sell that. And that is happening across the board, I would say. Mm. Prashant, are we seeing uh, the proof of the pudding, of course, as I keep repeating, is in the eating? Are we seeing that happen, uh, that uh, shift to platform, IP, uh, patents? Um, are you witnessing that uh, both from a first source perspective as well as from Indian BPM industry perspective? Absolutely. I think uh, the way the shift is happening, Venkatesh, is, you know, there are white spaces in the industry, right? And, you know, uh, first source had right uh, and you know the way the transition happened for first sources you know we've had areas where we did operations right we had like domain depth operational knowledge you know we looked to capture that operational knowledge through platforms and you know brought in it ops synergies and we were able to deliver outcome based offerings right we continue to do that you know uh, we have a full-fledged digital organization which is focused on building out what we call concept nodes right 
they we look at demand side supply side dynamics we look at white spaces we look at areas you know where we can really compete in and you know we invest in building out platforms and then you know with this we are able to deliver an end to end outcome and what it also gives us is it also helps us based on benchmarks right we either establish performance benchmarks cost benchmarks and you know we are able to you know uh, help the customers you know make the decisions and drive the shift having a platform is one thing the second aspect is getting the industry to adopt you know customers to get onboarded onto the platform uh, you know is another aspect so we focus on both mm. are you seeing uh, go ahead sukanya yeah so uh, yeah vectesh yeah, i just want to weigh in one additional component while platform based services are pivotal in in you know in the new bpm 4.0 world what tcs is observing essentially another whole segment is on data management and analytics vectesh and that's where you know a lot of growth lot of uh, scope for addressing some of the strategic imperatives uh, are quite uh, open there the ability to manage fragmented data from multiple sources um to enable deep insights and and better your ai models essentially is where the crux is as well platform yes it's given it's there uh, but we see a lot of customers moving in this direction and tcs is at the forefront essentially looking at how can we mine this data with you know so many um you know a big data elements out there are analytical uh, tools innovative models and ai um you know levers and products that we have going in the in the tcs table we are looking at how this can drive uh, some of these imperatives and that's another big dimension that's out there vectesh mm just to refer back to what prashant you are mentioning has it given you kind of a pricing power out there um, wherein now we are saying outcome based rather than being mere order takers ensuring that uh, you say that this the because of the value we provide this how we price things are we seeing that happen out there in the marketplace um, uh, in, in in specific segments right where you are able to demonstrate uh, the capability of the platform right, right. and and right. you, know, you could uh, just highlight with uh, some examples what segments of the market do you think so, so uh, for, for example um uh, mortgage right uh, post close operations right you know that is an area of uh, that's an industry wide space that is an area of, like of particular strength where like a platform uh, you know could be launched uh, in a in a 180 day uh, uh, you know uh, turnaround time right full fledged right so which was a 90 day mvp mvp plus plus in 90 days and another 90 days to get to best in class right so you know we are able to demonstrate uh, you know the the depth that we had in the domain right the ability uh, of looking at the operations end to end where we had to deploy visual ai text ai uh, to reduce the human in the loop interventions you know that is that is what is giving us you know the what do you say uh, the productivity philip and the reusability philip you know that is helping us you know reduce you know the cost operations so this way you know you are able to uh, you know as an example right uh, and there are several other examples of you know where we've seen it you know where we have depth where you know the technology intervention is right we have the right ops process you know we are able to deliver those outcomes hmm. i think amnit either you or one of the earlier speakers uh, referred to this as the zone which is a continuum between bpo 3.0 and the emerging bpo 4.0 though i think prashant did say that it's already happening 
Um, uh, given that, what are the challenges you see for the sector as a whole, not just from the Sutherland perspective, uh, but for the Indian BPM sector, both in terms of its workforce adaptation as well as market opportunities? So uh, the challenges, there, there can be multiple challenges to that Venkatesh. One of the challenges uh, that I can think of is uh, the relaxation. The government needs to relax more and more uh, from, from the terms of infrastructure, from the network, from telephony regulatory perspective, right? So they have done that already in terms of uh, reducing the OSP licenses, but it needs to go more, make it more, uh, more, more open. Uh, in terms of uh, accessibility directly towards the internet so that the connectivity cost can be reduced. Uh, so that is one government intervention is obviously required uh, to help in that transition and uh, boldening that. And more investments needs to be done on the innovation because right now we are probably in the middle or earlier we were in the bottom of the food chain when you referred us as the back office part of the world, but we have moved ahead in terms of that, where we are, uh, as Prashant has also pointed out, making some of the key decisions in terms of uh, value proposition to our clients, right? And we are also selling, that is the reason why the uh, we need to do some investments on the innovations. And this, the government has, government has already done that in terms of the PLI, uh, initiatives, right? Uh, where 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 you are you are actually able to do those kind of investments, and there is a benefit coming out of there. So we need to invest more on those areas in terms of PLIs, in terms of SEZs, uh, so that the innovation can be um, can become more robust. And we move up the up, up the food chain, uh, not only from a Sutherland perspective. We move up the food chain where we we are into the product side of the things. And when we are on the product side of the things, we are anyway good at the services. We have we have probably all the best players in the services sector, which is there. So what we need to do is to migrate from uh, from that paradigm shift from the uh, to a product way, right? Where where we are lacking, and where, where that is where the Silicon Valley. If you talk about the San Francisco, that is the hub of all these technologies brewing up. So that is where the investment needs to happen in India if we have to mature in that market. Mm. So, Kanya, would you like to add to that in terms of uh, both the threats as well as the opportunities for the sector as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think one of the key success factors, if I want to call it that, uh, Venkatesh, is um, you know, and I'm, I'm coming back to the enterprise function, okay? Because that's that; those are the consumers of whatever you know, new technology tools, everything that we bring to the foray. Um, firstly, to understand the the benefits uh, to the business by using this. That's one, the, uh, the conceptualizing, the understanding, comprehending of that becomes extremely vital. Um, expertise on the complete capabilities, you know, of the platform or the tools that we're deploying um, in, in accordance to the requirements of the business is another key point to bear in mind. Um, the third one that I could, I could think of is essentially to ensure there's involvement of business users, and this is the most often ignored uh, segment of, of uh, folks in the whole new AI innovation models. Um, you have to involve the business users through continuous feedback and in an agile mode. Um, and, uh, and that's been one of our success as well in TCS when we go in for uh, deploying new innovative models you have to involve the business user community because that's they are the end users they give you ideas they have the contextual knowledge another key element is you know to ensure you know whatever you're deploying 
it's scalable, it's it's secure, you're able to, um, you know, have it spread across, adapted easily, there's elements of change management that becomes easier with it, because, you know, you can deploy a great, functionally awesome technical tool, but its success is only so much if your if your user community is not going to get to use it or use it in the in the, you know, context of how it ought to be used. So that's, that's, Key, uh, that's another key element that I think I would like to, you know, emphasize on as well. And, you know, in addition to it, ensure your workforce is, you know, you're, you're uh, upskilling them to be technically uh, sound, you're, you're building the technical acumen, pick resources, not everybody wants to be technically adept. So you'll have to, you know, ensure that you give that um, choice back to uh, to your workforce as well, given that you've got so many uh, low-code, no-code solutions that are available. You want to put it in the hands of the user community, democratize, um, you know, the... Prashant, I think that Sukanya froze. Uh, 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 why don't you uh, bring your perspective to the table uh, as she uh, hopefully uh, rejoins Those are areas I think. Okay, sure, go ahead. You temporarily froze uh, Sukanya. Oh, oh, am I, I back? All right. Yeah. All right, okay. Now I was just saying, I think it's important to also ensure that we, um, you know, democratize the whole element in the workforce, you know, with the whole uh, host of low-code, no-code programs, because uh, with the contextual knowledge and the technical acumen, and you've got the re required solutions in hand, that's one other element of, you know, ensuring these relevant success factors to, uh, you know, seeing this go uh, up north. Yeah, Ashant, your perspective on this. Yeah, so just uh, stealing from Sukanya, right? And I think in the one hour we spent, one major trend is, is low code, no code, right? LCNC. And that has been like a, a, a major um, shift, right, in the past year. And, you know, at first source, the way we looked at it was, you know, we leveraged low code, no code uh, technology to build out platforms, right? And then, you know, build out skills deploy make it work and then you know we're also doing low code no code projects you know for our customers right as as automation and end-to-end -end, uh, projects right so from a bpm standpoint you know that is that is one major opportunity area because it offers us the opportunity to solve the talent challenge right so uh, traditional uh, full stack uh, you know distributed builds uh, you know are, are are most certainly relevant right they will continue uh, to form the foundation like of, of our platforms. But you know, there are uh, much more simpler use cases that are evolving uh, for now that you know low code, no code uh, tech can easily pick up, right? So that's that's a major trend and an opportunity area. Uh, but back to my overall perspective, and I was reflecting on how first source evolved, right? Over the years. Uh, you know, uh, today we consider ourselves, right, a CX specialist firm, right? But ultimately the journey started with contact centers and contact centers globally. Those contact center operations evolved to uh, digitally empowered contact centers, where we said that contact centers, you know, we are solving customers' problems. You know, there are multiple ways to solve it, right? Multiple interventions, be it chat, right? Uh, you know, be it self-service, um, and, and then, you know, brought in those cognitive interventions, right? We also looked at like how to improve agent productivity. Now the shift there from there, right, to now is, is around, you know, agent experience and customer experience, right? We are looking at customer journeys. We are looking at what outcomes are needed, right? 
So, um, and, and looking at agent experience to figure out what alerts need to go to the agent so that the customer experience is superior. So it is not about like, you know, how many contacts, how many calls, it's about like, if you're running outbound or inbound, you know, how have you been able to solve the problem? What are your NPS scores, right? What are the outcomes you've delivered, right? In terms of, uh, you know, sales uh, or, you know, depending on the process that we are, uh, that we are delivering to, right? That is the now, but, you know, as we look to the future, right? And with all the massive investments in metaverse, right? And with the, uh, you know, the web 3.0 and, and the futuristic guidelines kicking in, right? So guidelines have not even evolved, right? The future of, of contact will change, right? Completely. So as, as technology evolves, as markets evolve, as, as behaviors evolve, right? I think the fundamental nature of the web is being challenged, right? So this is not uh, nothing for us to worry about perhaps in the next few years, but, you know, those are shifts which will happen. And if we are able to, you know, get an early in on some of those shifts, that will prove to be a massive opportunity for the industry. That's such an interesting note. Uh, Amit, go ahead. You want to try something. Yeah. So, uh, Venkatesh, one of the things that you have asked is what are the threats that we perceive, right, uh, with, the, with the whole concept. And uh, I have, uh, when I started, I started with that. So the biggest threat that exists at this point of time for the whole industry or for the whole concept as such is the cybersecurity threats. There is no other way around that. Uh, we have we have seen this happening, and uh, the uh, as Sukanya has pointed out, the data immense data that we are mining, right? Uh, and these are all client data, and these are all personal information. So the threat the threat that we are seeing uh, is real and is near. So that is one of the areas which I see where every organization will probably and that that is the nightmare for us like for infrastructure and for CISOs uh, or for CIOs uh, the, the 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 area which we have to focus where we have to invest in order to enable and nurture the whole concept is to protect the whole uh, organization and the enterprise and the industry for such kind of threats mm, I'm sure that uh, that is something which the sector will uh... Uh, looking to reflect and address those uh, challenges. The Indian BPM industry has not merely adapted, actually shaped uh, the outcome of how things have evolved over the last couple of decades, led by players uh, like yourselves and the organizations you represent. Uh, thank you so much for your insights, uh, lady and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking.